Good morning. My favorite Proverbs, we're in chapter 14, verse 22. Chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, as As a youngster, I was parented to be a good boy. And I was a good boy. I was a really good boy when I was a youngster. But in my teens, I rebelled. In the eyes of my family, I was a black sheep. But it was actually worse. I was an outlaw. Our teens, or adolescents, is when we grow from a child to an adult. In fact, you can even hear the word uh, adult in adolescence. The teens can be a rebellious time, a time when we test, a time when we resist, a time when we distrust what we've been taught. Instead of wisdom, if we rebel, and if we distrust, and if we resist, then what we do is we choose the school of hard knocks. The upside of the school of hard knocks is that if we're lucky, we can discover for ourselves why we were taught what we were taught. And when we learn for ourselves, for ourselves, when we learn through the school of hard knocks, in other words, when we get knocked down in the school of hard knocks, then we own it. We really own it. I strayed. I took the wrong path. I trusted Not in the powers of good, but in the powers of evil. I trusted in the wrong kind of prayers, which were save me, (laughs) just so I could get up and do it again, you know. This proverb was written for me. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, The ESV uh, says we meet steadfast love and faithfulness. The New International Version says we find steadfast love and faithfulness. The New English Translation says that we exercise steadfast love and faithfulness. Three kind of different angles. One, um, like it turns out good for us, And uh, 
for example, the other, like the New English translation, is that when we do good, we actually are exercising. We're not waiting to meet it. We're not hoping to find it. We're actually, we're exercising faithful, steadfast love and faithfulness. Today, I'm known... um, as a goody two-shoes. Have you ever heard that expression before? Yeah, when I I was young and in my teens, sometimes we even called kids goody two-shoes. It was kind of a rip, you know? It was a way, it was a put-down. Goody two-shoes. It's it's a put-down of a person who is trying to behave well and do the right thing. That's a goody two-shoes. A person who's trying to behave well and do the right thing. And that's exactly what I am today, a goody two-shoes. Somebody who's trying to behave well and do the right thing. And I'm not embarrassed about it. I don't mind if you want to call me a goody two-shoes. I'm really up for that. I would be proud to be called a goody two-shoes because I am a person who is trying to behave well and do the right thing. Jesus went to the cross for trying to behave well and do the right thing. He wasn't just doing it to be a goody two-shoes. He was doing it because that's the way of the kingdom of God. That's the way of Jesus Christ. And he validates it at the cross. I had a reckoning. That's what made the difference. I had a reckoning. I didn't decide I want to be a goody two-shoes. I had a reckoning. I faced what I was doing. I believe all who claim to follow Christ and call him Lord had to come to a reckoning. Had to come at that point, come to that point where he or she faced who they are, what they're doing, and fall at the feet of the cross and surrender to the one who is truly good, Jesus Christ. A reckoning has to be a point of repentance. A reckoning has to be a point of recognition. You know, we, we say God is good all the time. At Easter, we chant that. God is good. And the, and the congregation Echoes back all the time. That's a goody two-shoes. Yeah, I'm a goody two-shoes. I want to do good. I know it can sound sappy. But we should be trying to do good. Now, I'll I'll tell you the truth. The more you try to do good, the more you'll realize 
we're far from doing good. But trying is better than giving up or not trying. And some of us, and I'm including myself, need to be trying all the time because God is good all the time. Get wisdom, the proverb says. Devise good. We could just start by devising some good. Devising some good. The point of this proverb is put your mind, the point of this proverb is, John, put your mind to the work of doing good. Devise, plot, plan good. That is what it's saying. That's the way of wisdom. That's what wise people do. We are to devise good, plan good, plot good. And you know what? It's the wise thing. It's also the godly thing. This word devise in Hebrew is the word karash. Karash. Used of a physical tool. In other words, if an artisan or a farmer is uh, the artisan using a stylus of some kind or the farmer using a plow, this word karash can mean to etch. It can mean to engrave. If a farmer's using it, it can mean to plow, to plow a row. But here it's being used of you and me. It's being used of a person. And so the tool is not a plow, not a stylus, not something to etch or engrave with. The tool is our mind. And so it's not translated plow or engrave or etch to cut into something. It's used of devising or plotting. It's been a while since I've driven a tractor and actually plowed rows, but I used to do it for my father-in-law. I really wanted to impress him when I was dating Shelley, and it really, it, it, it worked. He was impressed that I could do that. And uh, when you're, I, look, I haven't done this in a long time, so if some of you farmers who are actually plowing rows on a regular basis, if I say something a little off here, don't hold it against me. But, and now you have instrumentation. You probably got computers to help you cut straight rows. But we used to set our eye on something at the end of the row and hold that for our course. And our course is good. That's how you devise good. That's how you plot and plan good. So you'll notice that the very first line of this proverb says, uh, uh, do not those who devise evil go astray? Well, the word go astray means to veer from the path. To veer from the row. To go off the road of good. 
to veer off the road of good. And that's why we need to take the path of good. That's what this is saying. If we don't want to go astray, we don't want to devise evil. We want to do just the opposite. We want to devise good. And in some of your translations, for example, in the first line, they'll translate the word karash as devise. And in the second line, they may translate it as plan or plot. But it's the same word. Devise, devise. Plan, plan. Those who plan evil go astray. Those who plan good do not go astray because they're on course. There is a course. There is a road that we're supposed to be on, and that's the path of good. Take to the path of good. Now, when we talk about devising evil, we think of superheroes and comic books But do you know that a lot of philosophers after Augustine in particular, or Augustine in particular, see evil as the absence of good? And so just a little off course will keep you going off course and off course and off course And then as you age, you're way off course. And you're engaged in things that are far from good. And that ends up... You see, people who do some of the heinous things that capture the mourning of our nation, they they weren't born, you know, the way they were when they were known to be evildoers or implementers of evil. We have that nature, sure. We have that cussed, selfish nature. But not everybody chooses that kind of course. Many of us try to hold to the good course. Devise some good. We we follow the path of our thoughts. That's what this verse is saying. So what is in your mind? What are you telling yourself? What are you rehearsing? What are you reciting? I've, I've made no secret over the years that in the 80s, beginning with the decade of the 80s, I really, I, I took it upon myself to figure out and master and fix my anger problem. I had a real anger problem. It was affecting my marriage. It was affecting my relationships. I was angry. Don't make me angry. But what I found is my thinking was wrong. And and that's right. My thinking was wrong. Your thinking affects your emotions. If you're thinking negatively, don't think that will not have an emotional impact. So in dealing with my anger, I realized that I had to change the way I was thinking. And the way I was thinking about the things that triggered my anger. 
And in the Lord, that, that really became a much easier thing, especially when I let the Lord into those things. But what's important for us to appreciate is we follow the path of our own thinking. And that's why there are disciplines in the Christian life. And that's why we memorize verses, which are, it's, is no good if you don't reflect on those verses. You have to reflect on God's word. You have to follow it because you have to fill your thoughts and fill your heart with those truths which you do not get from our world because they are revealed through the work of God. Take the path of good. It starts small, but just like going astray, it's such a small little thing. When we focus on good, it ends up in good places as well. The way or the path, the word for way or path occurs 82 times in the book of Proverbs. 82 times. In fact, there are two ways. There's the way of wisdom and there's the way of folly. Often in wisdom literature, you're presented with the two ways or two paths. That's because a path establishes character. You see, when I was a kid, I would say, hey, I really didn't mean that. And I would exaggerate. A lot of times we grow up into adults and we're still exaggerating. Everybody, nobody. And then if you're called on it, you say, man, you're exaggerating. Well, I didn't mean it, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm, don't take me so seriously. But the irony is we take ourselves seriously. The path of our thoughts establishes our character. What kind of character do you want to be? See, if we think our, our thoughts are careless and we can just throw them around and then apologize for them or say they didn't mean anything, I'm just trying to tell you that's not a very wise path to take in life. Because your character is established by the path of your thinking. Don't be fooled. A character in a story is established by the character of their thinking. What kind of a character do you want to be? Do you want to be a hero or a villain? Take the path of good. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Think about what you're thinking. And if you're engaging in evil, in other words, if you're engaging in all kinds of fault-finding and negativity and things that aren't true, if you allow yourself to engage in that and feed on that on a regular basis, it is not without effect. It is not. And I caution you. That's what this proverb is cautioning you to do. Plot, plan, devise good. Plot, plan, devise good. And you will exercise. And you will find 
and you will meet, as the New American Standard says. Because there is no verb here. It has to be supplied. And the beautiful thing is, is that it's the outcome. The outcome of that endeavor and that pursuit is steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the power of good. And we need to trust the power of good. Trust the power of good. You may think, well, good is an abstract. Uh-uh, not in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, then that is the reality of our worldview. If you believe in a God as a creator who is at, in operating in the operation of this world, it's not something abstract. In fact, David extols the character of God in Psalm 25, verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Contemplate that. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. These two words in Hebrew are chesed and emeth. Sometimes translated love and truth. They're translated in a variety of ways, but here we have them consistently. Steadfast love and faithfulness. And I would say those are the best translations except for rare occasions where the words are used in a different context. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This is a very important, very important passage in our Old Testament, in our Bible, in our Bible. Starting at the beginning of the chapter, the Lord said to Moses, cut out of yourself, for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain." No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout the mountain. Let no flocks of, or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, before this chapter begins is chapter 33. And starting at verse 18, running through verse 25, Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory. Now, it's very important. Show me your glory. Now he's up on the mountain. And God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And he's going to show him his glory. And so in verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now this is him showing his glory. The Lord, the Lord, which in Hebrew we don't usually utter. We say Adonai, Adonai for the personal name of Yahweh. 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Did you hear that? The character of God is climaxed or the crescendo is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do good. And you will exercise. You will meet. You will find steadfast love and faithfulness. What's the point of this? Every good Jew would recognize that, that steadfast love and faithfulness. When you do good, you're going to be drawing close to the Lord in the very goodness that characterizes who he is, his steadfast love and faithfulness. But there's more, and this is even more important. You see, in the New Testament, God who revealed himself to Moses reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. And John, in his gospel, recognizes that. If you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the very beginning of the gospel, because it wants us to who Jesus is right from the outset. And of course, it begins with characterizing him as the creator of the world. The very agency of God in creation, the revelation of God, the light of the world. But in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now catch this next line. And we have seen his glory. I can remember reading that and thinking, how do we see his glory? But now in the light of reading the Old Testament, in the light of Moses saying, show me your glory. And then the Lord puts him in the cleft of the rock, as he says at the end of Exodus chapter 33. He puts him in the cleft of the rock to protect him, and he says, you will not be able to see my face, but you'll be able to see my back. And what does he see? The Lord passes by, and the Lord reveals his character. And the crescendo is abounding. In other words, overflowing without stint or limitation. His faithful love, his steadfast love, his loyal love. This is not flimsy, cheap love. This is love that you cannot exhaust. This is a love that will put up with you, every one of you. And I know that because he puts up with me. He puts up with us all. And he validated that love in Jesus Christ. And that's what's, it, what's being said right here. Listen to this. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. And then it says, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth is a translation of chesed ve'emeth, steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, it even says full of, as if abounding in. 
What does it say? We beheld his glory. There's the clue. There's the assurance. We beheld his glory as the only son of the Father. Of course his glory would be grace and truth, full of grace and truth. The word truth is the word faithfulness in Hebrew. Emeth. You can translate it truth, but what is it when a person is true? A person that's true is honest, dependable, reliable, faithful, constant, of a good character all the time. That's faithful. That's emeth. That's the Lord. That's his son. What is loyal love? Chesed. It's often translated mercy, kindness. And so is grace. And it's inexhaustible. It's steadfast. So trust the power of good. We see the very character of God in his steadfast love and faithfulness. And here it is associated with the practice of devising, plotting good. When we do that, the good is premeditated. Yeah, premeditated good. What is it when you're in court? It was premeditated. That means there's no question. It didn't happen by accident. There was intent to commit murder. Oh, there's intent to commit good. That's you and me. When we devise good, it's premeditated. And then think prayerfully of good. There's nothing here about prayer. I added that. Because I think if we're going to premeditate good, if we're going to devise good, then we want to do it with the Lord. We need his help. And so think prayerfully of good. Think prayerfully of good. Premeditate good. Because good, in the light of Jesus Christ, is cross-shaped and Christ-shaped. Plotting good is fixing our thoughts on what God deems good. Timothy Keller said, The basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his. That means every single emotion should be processed in prayer. Interestingly, faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness is not only found in this verse, but be preceded in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. In other words, don't let it escape you. Don't let it leave you. He goes on to make clear the point. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This isn't something we pick up when it suits us. This is something we're to live with. And this, when we went through the series on why love, it was plain as the sun shines 
that love is to typify and characterize our lives. I want you to know that God's love is steadfast and faithful. It is good. I can't imagine God's love not doing good. And we are to be characterized by such love. It's to be written on the tablet of our heart. In Proverbs 16.6, which we haven't gotten into chapter 16 yet, but by steadfast love and faithfulness, get this, iniquity. What's iniquity? Well, that's just sin, wrongdoing. Iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. In other words, where the, where the Lord is on our heart, when we're, as it were, thinking prayerfully of good, we turn away from evil. We turn away from iniquity. And then chapter 20, verse 25, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. In other words, how should the king operate? By steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the, God's king. God wants him to rule with these kinds of character qualities. I think that would be no less valuable for us in our Christian life. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. I don't know about you, but uh, yesterday, 9-11, 20th anniversary. I remember that day so well, but that's true of each and every one of you if you're over 20, 25. I remember the unity that washed over our country. We were united against a common enemy. We didn't, we didn't know quite what, who, where that enemy was, but we were united. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of unity back? I don't know if we'll experience it, but I do know this, that if you go to the cross, if you let the Christ-likeness of Jesus Christ shape and characterize your life, there'll be people that will show up at the cross with you. And there you'll find unity. You'll find oneness. You'll find oneness in the goodness and the love of God. Yeah. Not everybody will meet you there. But there's a oneness found in Christ that's uh, like nothing else on earth. Get wisdom. Devise some good. Devise to do God's love. Eliminate hate and replace it with good devised by God's glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, in John 17, the Son prayed, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them 
even as you loved me. Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. And we pray it in his glorious and matchless name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.